minimalists. <laughs> Hello, patrons, true fans, and VIPs. What's up, Vips? Are the VIP very important patrons? Are they fans. more important than the true fans? I don't think so. I think they're all important. All uh, of our patrons are important. I agree with that. <clears throat> but only some of you are listening to this. That's right. Because you're more important. <laughs> now, we do have some questions from you all. We'll try to get to as many of them as we can today. Let me start my timer here, Ryan. Yeah. Can I hand this to you, Sean? So, Ryan. Thanks. We're sort of in the middle of a pandemic. Sort of. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I bring up sort of, yeah, because places are starting to open now. Yeah. By the time this comes out in a week or so, uh, a lot of places will be open. However, uh, the aftermath of this thing, so we have some questions around this today. I'm sure we'll get to some of those. But the aftermath uh, around this is going to be detrimental. Like, I just saw a news story this morning in the Dayton Daily News. Uh, I get an email from them in mm -hmm. the mornings. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, when people ask like, what's the best news source to go to, for me, the most non-biased news source is the Dayton Daily News. Oh, wow. And, and so I'm a, I'm a subscriber. You know, I pay whatever it is, like $1.99 a month or something. Yeah. And But this morning, one of our favorite places back in our corporate days, the Dayton Racket Club, yeah. they've gone out of business. What? Because of COVID. Really? Yeah, yeah. Didn't they change their name to something else? Oh, the Dayton Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Wow. Yeah, and so they had stopped paying rent and they've... They, they're out they're of going. business now. Yeah. Wow. And that that was my favorite. It was a, the gym I went to as well. I, it was I great. exercised there. It's a it's the top floor, the tallest building in Dayton, Ohio, which yeah. is like thirty floors up. It was awesome, like getting on the uh, the bike or the treadmill and like looking out over the city. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. And and Bummer. so even places like that, these high supposedly high end places, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they're. They're done as well. And so there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Mm -hmm. But I do think we're, we're coming out of this and we're realizing we can't be quarantined forever. Yeah. Um, I hate that we don't know how if it's going to get worse. Because I don't know if you've seen like the graphs with the Spanish flu, which mm -hmm. is kind of, I guess, the closest thing to COVID that we, you know, pandemic. It, it might be. Yeah. I mean, this is an influenza, but yeah. But it's got this. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that it was a pandemic that swept the world. Sure. And basically, it shows like, well, exactly where we're at. Where we're coming down in like June, but then like in the winter, like there's a huge spike that happens. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, and, and you can go back and look at, at past epidemics and past pandemics, and mm -hmm. some of them lasted literally hundreds of years. Mm. And and so, um, you know, thankfully the death rate on on this is relatively low compared mm -hmm. to say Ebola, mm -hmm. which can have like a sixty plus percent mortality rate yeah. if you if you get it. Yeah. Um, I've had COVID nineteen. If if you didn't hear the the episode, the maximal episode that we did, uh, I had it. I had a fever for about eight to ten days. I had other symptoms. It wasn't the worst thing for me. Not to say it. I mean, obviously, it's terrible for some people. Mm -hmm. um, I've had hand, foot, and mouth disease a few years ago. Got it from Ella. That was far, far worse to me yeah. than COVID was. Again, individual results may vary. Yeah. But I think we're starting to come out of this, and we're we're going to start establishing new norms. We're not getting back to normal. Right. And so, what are these new norms? Some of the questions around that uh, today focus on on questions around quarantine, etc. Jordan says. How do you take care of your mental health during quarantine and disconnect from the world during this time? So 
you got to stop looking at news. <sighs> yeah. First yeah. and foremost. Or, or if you're going to look at news, be very deliberate about mm-hmm. it. So I mentioned the Dayton Daily News. Mm-hmm. That's the only news source that I am subscribed to currently. Yeah, but you're not like checking it three times a day. No, in fact, no, no, no. In fact, I delete most mornings. Mm-hmm. So I see it in my inbox and I just delete before I even open it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So most mornings, because I know that most of the time there isn't something here that is more productive. It's a question you and I were, were talking about this question earlier. I got it from Farnham Street. I'm just going to start making it my own. But um, it, is this is this helping me get what I want? Mm-hmm. And is reading the news every day helping me get what I want? Yeah. Almost never. Right. The answer to that is is, is going to be yes. And so so I would start asking that question more frequently. Is this helping me get what I want? And and you. You can do things like meditate. That might help you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're talking about mental health. Is meditating for 20 minutes a day using Sam Harris's Waking Up app or Dan Harris's 10% Happier app, uh, is is that helping you get what you want? Yeah, probably much more so than the news. Is playing the video is playing video games for eight hours a day helping you get what you want? Mm-hmm. Well, unless you're wanting to be a professional video game player, then the answer is probably no. Mm-hmm. So is this activity, is this behavior, is this ritual, is this routine, is this habit helping me get what I want? And it could even be something you perceive to be a good habit, mm-hmm. but if it's not helping you get what you want, it's actually a bad habit because it's bad for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, with mental health during this is, yes, you have to be clear on what you want, what's going to help you get there. Uh, definitely stop watching media. Get outside. Like, I, d- I had no idea. I had no idea how much getting outside affected my mood. Man. I had no cl- I mean, we were in for two weeks to quarantine ourselves before we went to Montana, and I had depression creeping in. And then we got to Montana, and I was outside pretty much every single day. And uh, it was a night and day difference. I thought it was the stress of being in Los Angeles and being around so many people and all the, the homelessness is just like, it's ungodly, dude. It's just like, I don't, and there's no, there's no easy answer to it, but I was like, I thought it was stressful because um, for some reason, like I had this paranoia that like, because when you have nothing to lose and you need something, like, you know, you, you do crazy things. So I was like paranoid about things kind of turning violent in Los Angeles. And I thought maybe that is what was causing the, the depression and the anxiety. Mm. Um, now that I have realized that going outside really affects my mood, like I don't worry about that stuff. And also I'll say that I find people being way nicer in Los Angeles now mm. than, <laughs> than... Yeah, Bex I just went out. I mean, we've been going out a lot. Uh, mm. We went out for a hike uh, out in the Pacific Palisades mm. recently. And I did notice people, you know, even though they're a bit trepidatious and, and I mean, I, I don't see the reason for wearing a mask out in the middle of nature when I'm not within 20 feet of anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but there are some people who are like overly cautious um, and... I'm not blaming people like if if you want to be overly cautious, then feel free. Wear wear a sure wear, wear gloves. Wear whatever makes you feel good. Wear a P100 respirator while you're surfing if it makes you feel better. Right. It actually might make you drown though, so probably don't do that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, whatever is going to to make you feel more comfortable in in that situation, maybe it is better for your mental health. But you know what isn't good for your mental health is constantly neurosing over something. So I went yeah. and got a, a COVID-19 test because it, it bought me a peace of mind yeah. because I knew I was sick back in, uh, I was sick back in March. March and didn't have confirmation as to whether or not I had it. Obviously I, I did have it. Bex tested positive as well. She was sick around the same time. And, and by the way, same household, she had slightly different symptoms than me. She didn't have a fever more than a day. Mm. I had a fever for eight to 10 days. Mm. Uh, she had a much 
worse cough than me. Mm. She had much more fatigue than I did. Mm. And I had a slight cough, very, very slight cough, slight fatigue. It felt like a cold. Yeah. Um, did Ella ever show any symptoms? Oh, yeah. She had a, uh, She was sick at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. So all three of us had. I mean, we didn't get her the blood test, but she was sick same exact time. Yeah. But she, yeah, she was experiencing symptoms. Yep. Yep. Sa- same uh, uh, cough, cold, cold like symptoms. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Lee says, when it comes to organizing your life as far as time, oh wait, we already answered this one on a separate session. I'm going to skip that one. Uh, that was on a, when did we answer that? Oh yeah, we were doing the, 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 the separate podcast. Um, anyway, um, Marty says, it seems like some people see COVID-19 as a hoax. Do you have any thoughts on how to have a conversation with these individuals to help them understand that this pandemic is not a hoax or some political conspiracy? Mm, this is a tough question because there's no there's no 100% factual information out there. We don't know jack crap about this. Yeah. And, and so here, here I, I, as with most things, most things, I think Ryan, you and I tend to end up, even though when we have different, diff, different opinions, mm. we, we still end up somewhere in the middle where I, I don't see this as serious as maybe Sam Harris does. Right, right. right. And I don't think it's a hoax perpetrated by the new world order and David Icke's lizard people or whatever. Right. Um, I, I think that, this is something that is more serious than the flu. Yeah. And we we yeah. deserve to take it seriously. And probably we yeah. should have shut down for a couple of weeks because the initial indication showed that we were going to see upwards of 2 million deaths in, in the United States alone. Yeah. And that's catastrophic. But we're realizing that that's not most likely not going to be the case now. Right. And so what do we do? Do we dive right back in? No, we dip our toes in the water and we start to figure some things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what businesses have to open? What businesses have to stay closed? What do? What is our responsibility? Not as the government, but as individuals. And that's not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. And mm-hmm. for some of us, that means that uh, we need to uh, stay away from older people who we could potentially contaminate yeah. right but to, people with underlying conditions to answer the question head on how do you have a conversation with someone who thinks that this is a hoax honestly i don't think you do have a conversation with them yeah because w- with if someone uh well not people who believe in conspiracy theories there are the things uh there are the way things are and there are the way things people want them to be mm. and people who dive headfirst into conspiracy theories and and treat them as gospel. Right. They're more interested in believing the things the way they want them to be. Mm-hmm. And in that scenario, you, you cannot have a, you can't have a decent conversation with someone who just, who has an agenda behind what they're saying. Yeah. So maybe try to figure out, do they actually think it's a hoax or do they just think it's overblown? That, that those are two separate things, right? right? Yes. Uh, David Icke thinks it's a hoax mm-hmm. and, and um, yeah, he's, he literally believes in lizard people, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I'm probably not going to listen to that. But it, maybe you're someone like Paul Saladino, who we've had on this show, mm-hmm. who just thinks the whole thing is wildly overblown. Yeah, and we had yeah, and we had a conversation with him, and it was a very I felt it was a very reasonable conversation. Um, but you know, even so, with the reasonable conversation we had, if you want an example, you can totally look at one of our uh, look at our quarantine conversation we had with Paul Saladino. So that's it's called uh, forty days of quarantine. If you're looking for it, so that's how you. That's the example of a of how you can have a conversation with someone who is kind of on 
because he's more close to the side that it's a hoax. I mean, he's not. Yeah, and he. By the way, he doesn't think it's a hoax. Right. No, he doesn't think it's a hoax. But I'm saying he's. Yeah, he's closer to that side than than the the middle. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem that we ultimately came to is there's no data that there's no denominator we can agree on. We can't agree how many deaths there are. Mm-hmm. We can't agree how many people have it. We cannot agree on. Uh, any common denominator. So because we can't agree on any denominator, there are estimates that the death rate is from, like if you, th- you look at the worldometer right now, there are, uh, it's a 15% death rate uh, because you've got a uh, percentage of people who have died and it's percentage of people who have recovered. You add those two numbers together and then, di- you know, divide by that, you've got a 15% death rate. Uh, and then you've got someone like Paul Saladino who says it's like a 0.1% death rate. No, and that 0.01 is... one Yeah. So, and that's because no one can agree on a denominator. So uh, there might be a certain point where you're having that conversation where you just have to look and be like, we have to agree to disagree because there's really no... There's nothing you can look at and say, this is 100% the denominator. Right. I don't think we'll ever get to that point. And I think regardless of, of where we are in, in this, what you believe personally, you have to realize that there's some amount of risk with everything. If you get in a car and drive every day, mm-hmm. there's risk, not just to you, but you're putting other people in danger. Yeah. If you're driving down the highway, you could blow out a tire, run over the median, head first into another car and kill someone. You're not just putting yourself at risk, you're putting other people at risk. Now, we do things to mitigate those risks, to reduce the risks, right? We wear seat belts, we drive the speed limit, we don't text and drive. Like There are things we do that are safety precautions, right? Mm -hmm. We can do the same thing with something like this without shutting down the entire world as well. Um, Let's see here, we have a question from Trudy, nope, not Trudy, from Lauren. Lauren says, Hey, Josh and Ryan. Hello. You talk about when you were both consumed with the mindset of when I have enough stuff, i.e. money, cars, a Rolex, etc., I will be happy and complete. Now your lives are significantly different. My question is, when was the moment, a day or single thought you each had when you realized life needed to change in a significant way? Mm. I know you both talk about these changes happening over a period of time. But was there ever an epiphany moment? If so, could you both share that epiphany? I think it's both for me. I, I think that... There's a lot of epiphany moments. I, I think you can have a little epiphanies. And I, I also think that what happens is you have an epiphany, but if you don't act on that epiphany, then it's then it's useless. It ends up not being an epiphany. It just it was just a thought. Yeah. Right? The mm-hmm. epiphany is only a, an epiphany in the rear view when you have done, when you've changed an action or behavior. Now, mine happened in the same month. My my mom died, my marriage ended in the same month. And it was like, it was like getting into a car crash. Mm-hmm. And then that car crash catapulted me or careened me into the median. And then I bounced off of that and crashed into another car. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a double car crash in yeah, a way. Yeah. And, and sometimes that, that, that crash, that becomes our epiphany moment. It doesn't require something that dramatic. I know for you, your packing party was seeing your light bulb moment, as you often call it, was seeing all that stuff that you had packed in yeah. boxes in your second living room. I think, man, I had so many little epiphany moments. It, I, I, there wasn't one that, that was like, I have to change. It was, I mean, I remember moments like I got my promotion to, you know, do marketing for all the retail stores, business marketing. And my, I, I, it was miserable. Like being like, I finally got to this, like, I got the thing I wanted. I got a. I finally got an office, or I guess it was a cubicle. 
in in wow. in the you know in the atrium building, uh-huh. and I made it, and it was miserable because like it's just I just look at my bosses and even my coworkers. I was just, like they were all miserable. Yeah, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm trying to be just as miserable as as these guys. And misery loves company. And uh, when someone's miserable, like they project their misery onto you. I mean, so so like there was that of like of of realizing like oh this job is not. I thought the title would make me feel good. I thought that is what would bring me happiness. Mm. And yeah, I don't, I don't know why I thought that. I mean, hindsight, it was really stupid to think that the other thing, uh, when, when I got to that road where I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm like, I, cause I was taking so many drugs. I was like, Oh, I'm like going to go down this road of like really hardcore drugs if I don't do something. So I remember, th- I remember so you got a bunch of opioids. Yeah. Time. And I remember thinking like, cause yeah, cause I couldn't get a hold of my pills so my friend's like, just try heroin. Like, you know, it's it's an opiate. And I, a piece of me was like, yeah, it's just no, I'll just, I won't inject it. I'll just like snort it or smoke it. Uh-huh. And as soon as I had that thought, I was like, uh-oh. Because I saw so many other people go down that road. And some of them died, actually. Yeah. So I mean, we're from the overdose capital. Yeah. So like I, so when I, when I reached that fork in the road, that was another epiphany where I was like, no, dude, like you have to do something different. So it's like all these little epiphanies created the the need to change but then it wasn't until you know uh, the the simplifying my life was presented to me where i'm like oh this is a good way for me to change my perspective the packing party was just a way for me to do some something extreme right and to shift my perspective yeah i think sometimes it takes this extreme perspective shift yeah and the packing party what it did for you it was a it was a a physical reminder yeah of uh, all these things it was forcing you to confront something that you may have not otherwise confronted yeah and by putting those objects into boxes stacking them up into your living room mm-hmm. as though you were moving when we move it is a one time we are forced to confront yeah. our items and and the time i was forced to confront my stuff is well my mom dies i had to confront her stuff mm-hmm my marriage ends and so I have to move out and I'm confronting everything. I start to question like, why have I given so much meaning to all these material possessions? Mm-hmm. What is truly important in my life? Mm-hmm. Who's the person I want to become? What's my new idea of success? Because I identified success as one thing, but that's, that's a rather narrow definition of success. Mm-hmm. And if you're a miserable, successful person, you're a failure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, who wants to be the? I, I'm, I'm watching. I've been watching this um, Michael Jordan documentary. You, you, oh, I haven't. I've heard so so such good things about. I, it. I've only seen the first seven episodes. Apparently, there's ten. Okay, and it's about the last season, which you know I dislike because his last he season was on the Wizards. No, his last season with the Bulls, his oh, last okay. championship season. He uh, they, they beat the Utah Jazz in '97, '98, oh, yeah. um, and so I'm very upset about that. Still, you know, the last moment where he fouled Let it go, Brian man. Russell. Um, <laughs> let it go no uh, you can't make me uh, no, so let it go all right the uh, uh the documentary mm-hmm. is a perfect portrait of greatness like michael jordan is uh, arguably the greatest player of all time mm-hmm. right and and it shows you that sometimes greatness does not lead to 
happiness, contentment, mm. joy, satisfaction, fulfillment. He he's not an embodiment of any of those things. He he is not fulfilled. Mm. He's not content. He's not particularly happy. He's not certainly not joyous. Mm-hmm. He's not successful in my mind either. Mm. Which is a weird thing to say. Is this billionaire yeah. who is the greatest player of all time is not nearly as successful as as LeBron James, the second greatest player of all time, who has half the number of championships, mm-hmm. but has a much more well-rounded life, is is liked by his teammates. Like, Jordan's teammates didn't like him. Really? All of his teammates oh, didn't, didn't like him. That. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, they respected him. Right. They all respected him. But they didn't like him. They didn't really like him as a human Would you rather being. be liked or respected? Liked. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, so. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Uh, well, actually, I think respect comes along with liked. Actually, it can. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, I think, I think LeBron James is both. People yeah. respect him. Um, he's also like he's all, he's also does some really amazing things with um, you know the school that he built in Akron, and mm-hmm. and so he's done some stuff that he he's experienced greatness. Mm-hmm. He's top tier echelon uh, of of uh, upper echelon of of basketball, but he. Is also he could retire today and be completely content with the career he's had. Yeah. And Jordan seems miserable to mm. a certain extent. Yeah. And I wouldn't want that. I'd much rather be number two with uh, happiness and contentment than. I totally totally agree. Uh, one other epiphany I had is when we were moving out to Montana and I did sell all the rest of my stuff at a garage sale. Oh yeah. It was like in order for me to move to Montana, I had to let go of that stuff. So it was like just. An example of another epiphany. Yeah, and so when you were letting go of those things, that that was confronting the material items once again. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's these crossroads where you're you're forced to to confront yeah. something. But the pain led to joy, like the pain of letting the stuff go. Uh huh. Like yeah, the pain of confronting it and having to actually let go of stuff that I really did have some attachments to. But right. it was like that pain led to the joy of moving out to Montana, and that was more important to me than holding on to the past. Let's do one or two more questions here. Cool. Corey says, are there any changes you will make in your life after the pandemic that you otherwise would not have if it never happened? I think this is a great question to yeah. end on here. I'll work, at home. I'll work out at home more. That's the one thing that'll stick. Other than that, I'll still hug. I'll still shake hands. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. What, what's going to happen is things are going to be changed for me. Like, are movie theaters still going to be around? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, I don't see Amazon maybe buying them. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's like, I, I don't know how life is going to look different for me and I'll, I'll go with the flow. Cause that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, changes that I can look at right now and be like, here's what I'm going to do differently when the pandemic pandemic is over. The only thing I can think of is working out at home. I've actually thought about this a lot and working out at home is the only thing that'll stick for me. Yeah. I, well, and here's, here's the thing. I, in fact, Corey even says, for instance, I built a home gym since I'm more aware of how unsanitary gyms are. Mm-hmm. Gyms have been maybe the least sanitary place that we've spent time in, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Uh, and there, there are a few problems here. It's not just the, the, the equipment. So even before SARS-CoV-2 and the coronavirus, COVID-19, et cetera, uh, um, gyms have been a place for stagnant air. 
They're the most polluted places. Yeah, it's where you get it's where you get pick up random diseases too, like yes. athletes' MRSA. foot. And, yeah, MRSA and like crazy random stuff in yeah. gyms. You pick and up. there are all kinds of reasons for this. This isn't all gyms, by the way. Like our friend Dr. Green, mm-hmm. he owns a gym that is pristine. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy high end gym as mm-hmm. well, and they probably I think they have one trainer. Like at any time, they have one trainer per guest who's there basically yeah right and so they take the time to sterilize everything and but your average run-of-the-mill gym is not that at all mm-hmm. and and so i actually what i think you're going to see is a lot more people doing the at-home stuff i have a peloton bike i have a set of weights at home i have a mm-hmm. pull-up bar at home right that's all i need I, I go out and walk quite a bit as well mm-hmm. and, and that's all i really need at home and, but you're going to see more people doing that stuff at home. I think you're going to see shift work often shifting to work from home. You're going to see some companies that realize, you know what? We no longer need this this giant space. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, I think I think the office might go from in in some corporations. Not, this isn't across the board, but I think the office might go from this uh, this place where we had to go. Ah, uh, we can get up, put our suit and tie on, and. Mm-hmm dredge the off it'll go from that to becoming a perk for some people yeah it'll be because, optional yeah yeah where i get to go in and and mingle with my co-workers and mm-hmm. and like it becomes this this almost fringe benefit yeah uh, as as we shift the culture in a lot of places and you're gonna see a lot more work from home and i think that's that's fine if you choose to do that i prefer not to work from home i enjoy coming in here to the office Mm -hmm. i i would much rather have a place to go i like separating work and home whenever possible but i i I could see that happening ryan you brought up the movie theaters um yeah i don't know i mean will i go back to the movies yeah i i I certainly anticipate going back to the movie yeah me too but we might not have the option right yeah Uh, although i think in la we will because Mm -hmm. there will be independent theaters and and even if these venues go out of business, the infrastructure is there, right? You, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to build new movie theaters. Right. Someone else could take it over uh, if it's liquidated, whatever. Mm-hmm. The seats are there and the infrastructure is there. So if some other corporation could potentially take it over and we still end up going to the movies that way. Uh, live events. Do I see myself going back to live events? Yeah, eventually. I could yeah. see myself going to the comedy store. I don't see myself shaking hands but I really wasn't a handshaker before, yeah. so I was always a hugger yeah. before. Now that's going to be awkward, I think, you, because we're going to be. Yeah, hey, I'm a hugger. Yeah, but I'm not. Uh, you're going to get a lot more of the I'm yeah. nots now. Yeah, and that's which fine. Is, which is okay. Yeah, it's totally cool. Our hugs are free, transferable, and 100% consensual. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, someone on on Twitter asked me that about the hugs. Are you guys, are you and Ryan going to get back to hugging? And my response to to him just this morning was. Um, yeah, we, we are going to get back to hugging. And he said, well, I don't know. I think I'm just going to like go with a namaste and a bow or something. And, uh, it was Troy from, uh, from Las Vegas. He, he was in our, our documentary very briefly in the crowd. What is namaste? Is that seize the day? Is that what namaste is? Um, I think it generally means hello. I, 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 and by the way, it's not. It's it's not namaste either. It's, yeah, uh, there's a whole joke about how we butcher that word. Yeah, Akash Singh's joke. It's, yeah. Actually, put a link to that. It's so Sean. good. Yeah, it's a it's about how white people butcher uh, namaste. Yeah, uh, we we put the wrong emphasis on it. Anyway, yeah. um, and he was like, you know, I, I don't think I'm gonna go back to hugs. And I'm like, well, truth be told, Ryan and I have over the last decade hugged over sixty thousand people, mm-hmm. and we've never gotten sick from it once. 
Of course, individual results may vary. You might go hug one person and get sick. I'm just saying sure. that we have hugged Knock on wood. tens of thousands of people yeah. and never got sick from that. I've gotten sick plenty of times from my daughter. So I think the better advice is to go hug people and not have kids. Don't hug your daughter. All right, y'all. Love people use things. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks, patrons. The minimalists. <laughs>